I, I thought maybe just with our time today around the Lord's table as we'll take in just a moment that I would uh, just gear our message around the, the work of Christ. And I want to talk to you this morning from the Word of God on the meaning of justification. The meaning of justification. And I thought it would be appropriate just to pause at this. We've been working our way through some of these doctrines at Men's Equippers, just having a wonderful time both in Visalia and Kingsburg, working through the great doctrines of the Scripture. And we want to ask the question this morning, how can a sinful man be made right with God? And certainly we understand that in and of himself, he cannot make himself right by God. The Scriptures are clear that we're sinners by nature. We are depraved to the core of our being. The Scripture is very clear. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And certainly the reality of such a predicament of being a sinner and the reality of hell is staggering. I mean, it's just a staggering thought when you think that we are bound in our sin and depraved to the core of our being. But not all people believe that, though, do they? Sophia Loren, some of you remember her. She's an actress, uh, an older actress. Here's what she said in USA Today. don't think it's too uncommon. She said, quote, I pray, I read the Bible. It's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven. Otherwise, it's not nice, is what she said. She said, I haven't done anything wrong. My conscience is very clean. My soul is as white as those orchids over there. And I should go straight, straight to heaven. End of quotes. That just tends to be people's thoughts. They're nice. And I'm nice. And I will get to heaven. In fact, not too many years ago, during a news program, 60 Minutes, Dan Rather interviewed a man by the name of Jack Welch. Some of you men will know that name, men and women will know that name. He is the former CEO of General Electric. And during this interview, Rather asked Jack Welch, he said, what's the toughest question you have ever been asked? And Welch replied and said, that's easy. Here was the question. Do you think you'll go to heaven? And he asked for a response to that. And here's what Welch said. He said, quote, it's a long answer, but I said that if caring about people, if giving it all you can, if being a great friend counts, despite the fact that I've been divorced a couple of times, no one's proud of that. Welch said, I haven't done everything right all the time. And he finished by saying, I think I've got a shot. A shot. And you better have a better answer than a shot at something. In fact, the testimony of Martin Luther, maybe some of you have read Steve Lawson, who spoke at the, at the conference, just wrote a new biography on Luther. But Luther, as he sought to find peace with God... Martin Luther would record in his biography that he was besieged. As he, he wanted to be at peace with God, but he was just besieged by doubts. He was filled with despair. And Luther said, quote, If you asked me, did I love God? I would say, love God? 
Luther said, sometimes I hated him. I saw Christ as a terrifying judge who had a great sword of judgment above my head and I had no peace. And so as you begin to read the biography, he tried everything from sleeping on hard floors and fasting to climbing a staircase in Rome. All the way he's climbing the staircase in Rome while kneeling in prayer. And he did all the stuff he was supposed to do, the disciplines, the confessions, the masses, the absolutions, the good works, and it all proved hopeless. Luther said this, quote, he said, if ever a monk could go to heaven through monastic discipline, I was that monk. He said, and yet my conscience would not give me certainty. And I always doubted and said, you didn't do that right, and you weren't contrite enough, and you left that out of your confession. And Luther went on to say, the more I tried to remedy the uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience, the more I daily found it uncertain, weaker, and troubled. And nothing pacified his tormented conscience until having been appointed the professor of Bible at Wittenberg, he studied and he began to expound the book of Romans. And Luther says in his own words, quote, I had longed to understand Romans and nothing stood in the way but that one expression. And here it was, the righteousness of God. Luther said, I took that to mean the righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Luther said, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth of the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. And Luther would write that famous line in his biography. He said, I felt myself, quote, to be reborn and to have gone through an open door into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. And he said, the passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. And what, what a thought there. It, that phrase, the righteousness of God. Luther would say later that when the article of justification has fallen, he says everything else has fallen. This is, Luther said, the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist, Luther said, for one hour. It is the master and the prince, the Lord and the ruler, the judge over all kinds of doctrines, end of quote. My question for you this morning as we come into worship is what is justification? What is justification? What does it mean to be justified. I'm going to take the mic around and put it in some of your... No, I won't do that. Um, I mean, I, I wondered that. I wondered if we went around this room, could you articulate that for me? That's our topic even this morning as we come to the Lord's table. It's from selected scriptures, but turn here at the beginning to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. When I say that word justification, let me at least here points you to the scripture that I'm not talking about some theological term, 
though it is that. It is a biblical term. And there it is in Romans 3.20. Certainly, Scott Booker in his class on Romans has touched on this. But it says there in Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So recognize right there in Romans 3.20, we're talking about a biblical word. If you go over to Romans 3.24, 3.23, of course, says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, there's our word, by His grace. It is a biblical word. We are justified. Look down in Romans chapter 3.28, for we hold that one is justified, it says there, by faith. But what exactly is justification? Do you understand that meaning and what that word is? And what is the doctrine of justification? You know, a couple weeks ago at Men's Equippers, we were talking on this doctrine. And, you know, I just share this with you that I, it was a man that's in not even in our flock, he's in another flock. And we're talking about justification and sanctification, which I count as like 101. I mean, don't think like I'm giving you deep doctrine here. This is 101. In fact, I should bring my twins up on the mic and see if you... Lauren's like, no, don't do that. If, I mean, children should know this doctrine. But as I looked into this man's face, he, he said, I just don't get these terms. And he looked pained, like, I, I just know I, I know I believe, and, uh, and it was a sweet time, because then around the table, our other men begin to show him the doctrine of justification. But I walked away from there, and I would say to you, how can you not rejoice? How could you rejoice, if you will, in your salvation if you don't understand this doctrine? Listen, you you could be a Christian and maybe not know how to define it and pinpoint it, but if you want to have depth in your soul and joy on your heart and give glory to God, then this is a biblical term. And so as we prepare for the Lord's table, let me just remind you of three vital truths regarding justification, okay? I'm going to put it in somewhat of a theological construct. I hope it will become clear. I want to talk to you about the meaning, the grounds, and the instrument of justification, okay? The meaning, the grounds, and the instrument of justification. First, when we see that term in 320, 324, 328, let's talk first about the meaning of justification. Justification, if I just put it in a definition, is a legal act, okay, or I could say a legal declaration of God by which he declares the sinner righteous in his sight, okay? It is an act of God. It is a sovereign act of God. So we say it is an act of God, meaning that he is acting upon us. And when he, as we come to the Lord's table, justified you, he, at that moment, in that doctrine, declared you righteous in his sight. 
he legally, if you kind of pick up that language of a judge, took the gavel, and the picture falls a little bit, but took that gavel, pounded it, if you will, in the courtroom of heaven, and declared you righteous in his sight. Now we know, if you look back in Romans 3.20, we know that God justifies us. It is always apart from works. Look at Romans 3.20. For by the works, or by works of the law, no human being will be what? Justified in his sight. You say, well, Scott, explain that. Well, you understand that. There's nothing you can do. There's no effort you can do. There's no righteousness that you can come up with. There's not merit that you can do. That's not a, being a good person. It's not, in Sophia Loren's words, I'm nice. It's not that when Jack Welch gets up there and he says, I've got a shot. Listen, nobody has a shot, right? I mean, whenever someone is declared righteous, you see it there with your eyes. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. But as we just kind of put feet to this definition, when you think of the doctrine of justification, here's how you can remember it. Something is removed, okay? Something is added, okay? When you're declared righteous, and when God does that in your life, and He justifies you, He removes what? Obviously. Sin, and He removes guilt, okay? He does remove guilt, He doesn't just remove sin. He removes your guilt. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. But then secondly, he imparts something to you and he imparts to you the righteousness of Christ. But first, it's just that thought there that sin is removed. When when he justifies you, and I'm talking to you, right? Because you're going to be holding that bread and the cup. If you're in Christ, you're justified. You say, what did he do in that act of justifying? He declared you righteous, okay? Instantaneously, he did that. He, he made you righteous in his sight. And he does that by first removing your sin. This is why the psalmist would say in 32.1, how blessed is he whose transgression is what? Forgiven. Whose sin is covered how blessed is the man to whom the lord does not impute iniquity listen when you trusted christ when he justified you he removed your sin in fact this is the testimony of isaiah god speaking in 43 25 when god says i even i am the one who wipes out your transgressions and i will remember no more your what sins he removes them in fact look over at romans chapter 5 1 you're familiar with this where it says because of that therefore he said since we have been in 5 1 justified by faith we have what do we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ in other words once he's justified you you're now at peace with God. But just for a moment, as we come to the table in just a second, I like to liken it to a little calculator. Maybe I've said this to you before. In the older days, you use those little hand calculators and you do your problems on it, your math problems, then you hit clear, you turn it off, it comes up clear. Listen, when God redeemed you, when God justified you, when you came to saving faith in Christ and He declared you righteous, 
He forgave you all of your sins, past, present, and future, to the point that if all your sins came up, if you will, probably breaks down on that calculator, when you came to Christ, it was cleared in the work of Jesus Christ. He, he cleared you. He eliminated your guilt. He eliminated your sin. There is no record of your sin. It is lost forever. And that's what happens in that sense to us when our sins are forgiven. Oh, certainly the consequences may remain, but the legal condemnation for the offense is gone. So listen, if you're in Christ... He justified you, right? And you'll note there in Romans 5.1, what's the language? Since we have been, what? Justified. In other words, it's past tense now. In fact, because of that act of God removing your sin, look over at Romans 8.1. You're well aware of this. In Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no, what? Condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are taken away. Now, I want to be clear here that justification is not to be repeated. Okay? That, that's why we've been in 1 John. You don't have to walk the aisle and pray the prayer and get saved every week like my father-in-law because he got unsaved Monday through Saturday. Right? You don't have to keep confessing Christ and keep, you know, confess Him as Savior and Lord from your heart, but you don't have to keep coming to Him for salvation. If He saved you, if He redeemed you, then He justified you. And if He justified you, you are justified. This process, biblically, theologically, is never to be repeated. And let me even be more clear than that. It is not a process. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either justified or you're not justified. You're not, I'm kind of justified. No, that's, just un, that's not what the word means. Either he declared you righteous or he didn't. But when he does declare you righteous, he removes all of your sin. So I'm going to make a distinction there, unlike sanctification, where we're in the process of being made holy, that process is ongoing. Justification, Grace Church of the Valley, is an instantaneous event. It is a declaration of righteousness that is complete at the time of your salvation. Now, I know some of you don't believe that. Now, you, you hear me, but you're like, I don't know. I don't know. And that's why you don't know if you're in Christ. And you're arguing against the Scripture. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It is a declaration of righteousness that is fully complete at the time of your salvation. In fact, what God does in justification, he pardons and forgives the sinner completely. So you say, well, Scott, well, how, does that, how does that work? I'll, I'm explaining it to you. When I was 14, and I've told you my testimony, and I trusted Christ. He caused my heart to be regenerated. I was on my knees confessing him as Lord and Savior. I didn't know all that was going on. But all I know is when I got up from that moment, from that time, forever, God Almighty declared me what? Righteous. That's not up to what I'm doing. 
God Almighty, I, he, he made a decision. He declared that, listen, I'm not wondering now what will happen to me, right? When that happens, it happens, it takes place. And when he declares you righteous, the first feature is he removes all your, what? Sin. But secondly, that's not all he does, because if that was all he did, you and I could not stand in the presence of God. You say, well, yeah, you removed my sin. No, that would make you neutral, would it not? Make you neutral. Neutral people don't get into heaven. You need something that you don't have. And what you need to get into the very presence of God is what? It's righteousness. So in the meaning, he removes one thing, but he adds another. And what he adds is righteousness. But the reformers used to call this, and I like it, alien righteousness. In other words, it's alien because it doesn't come from you on the inside. It comes to you from the outside. It's outside of ourselves. So in justifying the sinner, you know this, that God transfers the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and his life as a gift to us, right? Now, we talk all the time, and appropriately so, about his death. We'll celebrate the elements in just a moment. But celebrate his life. That for 33 years... He lived perfectly, did he not? That he never sinned. That he never stepped outside of the law. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. He was sinless, the scripture says. He was righteous. So in that act of God declaring you righteous, he removes sin, but he puts into your account the righteous life of Jesus Christ. And that allows you to go into the presence of God. Just look for a second. This is precious in Romans 5. Look there. I love this statement here. When you say, well, gosh, you mean he just put it into my account? Yeah. You say, well, why would he do that? Grace, right? Look at Romans 5.17 where it says there, for because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance And the free gift of what? Righteousness reign all through the one man, Jesus Christ. But I love that little phrase there. It is the free gift of righteousness. You can't pay for it. You can't buy that. You can't earn that. So as you take the bread, as you take the cup, and you're walking in this justification, he declares you righteousness, righteous. He removes your sin, but positively he adds that into your account. So I should just stop and say, have you been justified? And you can grow up in Kingsburg all your life and not know this doctrine. I'd venture to say there's people who don't understand it right now. I'd venture to say that in my flock here, there would be some of you who are trusting in your works and trusting in your own faith. When the meaning of justification is he declares you righteous and he has to because you've got sin that needs to be removed, but you have righteousness that needs to be added. Do you remember that great hymn by Wesley? It says it all. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. Do you remember the last phrase? And clothed in what? Righteousness divine. What do you mean clothed in righteousness? It means right now, God Almighty sees you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not only on the cross, but he's looking at you 
through the righteous life of Christ. Aren't you glad he is? I mean, he's not looking at what you do. I sin all the time. I have to apologize to my wife weekly, you know. But I'm just thankful that I'm not standing in grace on my own merit. I'm standing it on the merit of Jesus Christ, and I am clothed, if you will, in his righteousness. You know the hymn, the rock of ages, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. I love that phrase. Be of sin, the double cure. You and I, you need a double cure. You are not nice, like Sophia Loren would say. You don't have to wait for a shot at it. You have an incredible disease this morning, if you're not in Christ. You are a sin doubly over. You need a double cure. And the double cure is justification. You've got to have your sins removed. That's one cure. And the second cure is you need righteousness added. So what a great line in that, in that hymn, Rock of Ages, where it says, Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. We've got to have a double cure. Sins forgiven and righteousness added. And we are permanently righteous. That's justification. We are declared not guilty and declared righteous before God. Now, Sinclair Ferguson said something that was really strong. Listen to what he said, because I just want to like just rock into your mind, because so many of you, I've seen this as a pastor over, you still trust yourself, And you just forget your high standing and position, what Christ has done. Amen? Here's what Ferguson said. He said, precisely because we are justified in him, that is, in his justification, our justification, Ferguson said, is also final and irreversible. Indeed, we can be so bold as to say that we are fully justified before God as our Lord Jesus is. We are as finally justified as our Lord Jesus is. We are irreversibly justified as our Lord Jesus is. The only justification we have, our only righteousness, is that of the Lord Jesus, and we are justified with his justification. That's good, isn't it? Listen, if you're in Christ, you're, what a precious time, and it's his work, isn't it? Spurgeon said, when God accepts a sinner... He is, in fact, only accepting Christ. He looks into the sinner's eyes and sees his own dear son's image there, and he takes him in. Praise the Lord for that. In fact, you remember that hymn. It's by a guy by the name of Edward Mote. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I in him be found. It says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand, what? Before the, before the throne. But you're dressed in his righteousness. You say, but Scott, I feel dirty. Well, we're sinners, are we not? But God Almighty sees you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So very well, the meaning of justification, your sins are removed, Christ's righteousness is, is added. But secondly here, maybe to ask this, 
How are your sins taken away? I mean, that's just the question, the scripture back. How do they take, okay, they're removed, but, but like how? I mean, we just say, okay, he takes them, he, he puts them, he buries them in the deepest part of the sea, he, he wipes them out like a, like a thick cloud, he chooses to remember your sins no more. Okay, but how does he do it? That, that, how does that accomplish? Second point is the grounds of justification, okay? Now, I'll just answer it. Practically, this was done through the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Look back at Romans 3.24. It's done by the cross of Jesus Christ. Whenever you see that word justified, you're not looking too far to see his work on the cross. Romans 3.24, that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the, what? Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The grounds of our justification is the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross. We're justified by a gift of his grace through the redemption. Look over in Romans chapter 5. Is it not the same there? Then this is so clear. In Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have been justified by his, what, blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. We are justified by his blood. So watch this, through his death on the cross and through that expression of faith, okay, justification then is grounded in his death. That's how it's made possible. In fact, look over at Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 33, you know that text well, where it says there in 8.33, um, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God. It is God who justifies. Who is, the, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who, what? Died. Listen, he died so that we wouldn't have to die. He died in our place to remove our sins and to put the righteousness of Christ in our account. So the grounds of our justification in the Scripture is clearly the work of Christ on the cross. Certainly you remember that famous hymn by Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, when it says that he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free, his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood, what? Availed for me. When he died on the cross for you, okay, that is the grounds of God's justifying work. It is his death. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is his death for you. But thirdly, how do you get that? I, don't, I want to be so clear. How does this become yours? That, that's really the question. If you can reason with me and argue with me and you're following me logically, the question I'm asking you, dads, so that you can train your children when you go home today, when you sit with them at night, you, you don't want your children just to become uh, moral creatures, right? Yes, dad. Yes, mom. And never know the work of Christ on the cross. So the question that I'm asking you this morning is, how does this become yours? I mean, how is one 
justified before God. And I'm not talking about your family, okay? I really don't care about your family at this point. And I don't care about your grandpa, your grandpa, grandpa, great, 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 great. I'm talking to you. And the question I could ask is, are you justified? Not your dad, not your mom, not your grand. Are you as you sit here and listen? How, how does it actually become yours? How, how do you actually become justified before God? Well, there's an instrument. That's the third point, right? There's, there's an instrument. In fact, it'd be interesting to see if I said, take your pen and write it on paper. Because listen, we're not messing around here. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not looking to, to, um, <laughs> I'm not looking to please the community. I'm not looking to, uh, I want you and I to know the scriptures together, right? And I don't really care if, uh, I just, I don't really care about a lot of stuff other than that we get this right, okay? So I'm happy to build, we'll build a building, we'll walk on the property. But if you don't get this, then you don't get anything you don't understand this, then we can't move forward together. So what is then the instrument of justification? Evidently for Sophia Loren, it's called being a nice guy. Evidently for a guy like Jack Welch, if he does certain things right and they weigh out better than bad, then I suppose he's got a shot. That's unbiblical. I'm asking you moms, as you teach your your children, how does this become yours? Let me show you from the Bible. You know this. Romans 4, 5. Romans 4, 5. Um, it says it's so clear, right? For the one who does not work but, what? Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as, what? Righteous. So the instrument in the scripture is what? It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's the instrument. Look back at Romans 3.22. I mean, I can't say this enough because the scripture talks about it. He says in Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through, there's instrument, and through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, but the righteousness of God is released through faith. Now look over at Romans 3, verse 26. Romans three twenty-six. it was to show, I think it says there, at the present time, so that he might be just, Christ, God, right? And the justifier of the one who has, what? Faith in Jesus. Faith is the instrument. Glance down at Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by what? Faith apart from the works of the law. Look down at Romans 3.30. For since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It's always faith, is it not? Look over at Romans 5.1. You know this well. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. Faith. Now, you might just be saying, okay, and I've shared this with you a little bit, and we have talked even in class today. We know this, and I'm just telling you this for your information. Like, when we talk about uh, the Roman Catholics, right? We were talking about this in, in, 
they would not teach that faith is the sole instrument. They would teach baptism as the instrument. So don't think we're like, this is important stuff. That's why they take the babies to get sprinkled because they would teach, at least at the high councils of their church, that in that act of sprinkling, that baby is justified before God. We would say, no, in the scriptures, it's faith and faith alone, okay? Let me, let me quote to you from a catechism. It's a little wordy. It's just a, a catechism that we have in, in the church. It's an older one called the Heidelberg Catechism. But I think it just expresses that it's faith, you know, in Christ. It says, here's the question. How art thou righteous before God? And here's the answer. It's a little wordy, but hang with me. Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me, and though I have trans, grossly transgressed all the commandments of God, and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had nor committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all the obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. End of quote. That's good, isn't it? We're, we're just trusting him, okay? It is by faith that one is justified. Now, let me just be real clear, though, because I don't think I'm clear yet, okay? Faith, you understand, this is like so important. Faith is the instrument, not the cause of justification, okay? Follow, it's the instrument, and I'll explain that. You, okay, are not justified, let me say it this way, because of your faith or on account of your faith. If that were true, then faith would be understood as a what? As a work. Follow me. We would then be justified on the basis of our works or on the basis of our faith. One, one man said it this way, that faith, properly understood, is like a channel through which the benefits of Christ flow to us. We are not justified on account of our faith. We are justified through faith. It is the work of Christ, enough said, not our faith which is the foundation of justification. Faith itself is a gift of God. And so I think what I'm just trying to establish, you understand the distinction? You say, well, I believe. But you've got to finish the sentence. Who do you believe? You believe in what? Christ. Belief in the New Testament always has a direct object to it. So when we say that it's the instrument of faith, listen, it's not your faith. It's simply the channel by which you reach out to God and become a Christian. And let me see if I can fill this out a little bit. Faith is to lay hold of Christ, okay, and to treasure his righteousness. It's to lose your righteousness. Really what faith is, is it's utter humility. In other words, you have nothing to offer God. 
It's utter humility. You've got nowhere else to go but to look to the brazen serpent, if you will, in the Old Testament that was lifted up. Faith is utter despair of everything except Christ. And what faith does is make the sinner conscious of his or her desperate condition and the tragic judgment upon us. And far from faith being a work of merit, actually faith is a realization of my own demerit where my filthy rags must be stripped away and faith looks away from self and it looks to Christ. You say, well, Scott, why is it by faith? It's real simple. You say, why though? Why do I have to look? Why did he set it up that way? Okay, let me show you. Look at Romans 4.16. Here's why. This is like so clear in Romans 4. says it right here. He says, this is why, 4.16, it all depends on faith. He says, in order that the promise may rest on what? Grace. You say, grace? Listen, you have done nothing for it. It's faith. Face the instrument. Face how you treasure Christ. But you're not saved because of your faith. You're saved because your faith looks away from self and holds out to Christ. And I love that little acrostic where it just, you know, the acrostic for faith, F-A-I-T-H. This is what faith is. Forsaking all, I trust what? Him. That's saving faith. So listen, you're not saved because of your faith. You might lose your faith next week. You might have a doubt of faith next week. You're saved because your trust is in what he's done. And so you're away from yourself. For every you know, look you take to yourself, take 50 to the cross of Christ. And that's where our hope is.